what is behavior-driven development to kind of set the stage for everyone? Uh, behavior-driven development is essentially using concrete examples of the behavior that you're trying to create in a system as the core of your collaboration. So instead of talking about abstract specifications for how something should work, let's talk about concrete examples of the users doing things. Uh, instead of just implementing a bunch of behaviors in a mini waterfall kind of way, let's take one concrete example and make that work all the way through. Then even when we do exploratory testing, let's focus our testing on finding examples that aren't satisfied by the system and should be. And then let's make those true of the system. So it really is taking that single example of a customer doing what they want to do with a system and implementing it one example at a time. So why do teams need behavior-driven development? What's the, the big plus that they will find? Mm -hmm. uh, for the same reason that things like user stories, when they're used well, make sense. Uh, we, we want to have empathy with our customers so that we build the things that they actually need. Uh, and they actually use the things we build and benefit from the things we build. Um, so taking the empathy even further down from the kind of work item level, which is what we would get with a good user story, down into even as we build a user story, every little transformation of the system that we make is focused on the users. Um, that helps us build the right thing. Um, so that's half of it. The other half is improving collaboration on team and giving us a way to work together, a way out of silos and many waterfalls. In order to make a new example true of your system or to even figure out what it is and then make it true of your system, that requires multiple roles, requires different specialties, different skills to get together. So instead of having the product people work for a while and programmers work for a while, testers try to guess what the programmers are going to build and what the product people actually want and slam it all together at the end and hope it works. <laughs> this is a way for teams to actually function as a team and work closely together all the time. There's a huge difference in the effectiveness of a team that's actually a team and a group of people that do meetings together. Which is what <laughs> a distinction. Lot of agile teams are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You show up to that <clears throat> daily scrum or a daily review on a Kanban team and, and everybody's saying, I did my thing yesterday, I'm gonna keep doing my thing today, and no blockers, and nobody cares what anybody else is saying. That's not a team. Yeah. But a team that does BDD is talking about the ways they worked together and the ways they're going to work together because you can't work any other way if you're doing BDD. It requires everybody to work together. Yes. So where does a team, what's a good place to start for some like a team or maybe somebody, a member of a team wants to start BDD on their team? What's a good way to start, Richard? Start talking about examples. Uh, the conversation part of it is the most important thing to get first. Uh, I think teams and individuals often make a mistake when they want to adopt BDD and they immediately go reach for a tool like Cucumber and start automating tests. Yeah. Those automated tests are a kind of side effect of doing everything else, but they're not the point. Mm -hmm. and I've seen, I guess in, in all the years of coaching and, and training teams to adopt BDD, I've seen a couple fail pretty badly at it. And in both cases, it was really driven by a QA group that wanted to do it nobody else really wanted to be part of it. And so it just ended up being test automation yeah. with a pretty cumbersome language on top of it. You know, the, the Gherkin language we use in, in Cucumber is great for capturing the results of conversations that you've had. Uh, if you're only writing tests for yourself, it's an extra layer that you don't need. Yeah. So we see people get frustrated with it and quit. 
And the many teams we've seen succeed with it are ones where the whole team decides to work together in a different way and learns how to do that. And it begins with conversations about examples. Now, once you've done that a bit, the next step is what I call the slow lane approach. Mm -hmm. You picture the, the typical storyboard or Kanban board that a team has where they've got a bunch of different work items in priority order moving through states. Right? Mm -hmm. uh, if you think about those as six, eight, 10 different lanes that things are moving through, the slow lane approach is in the beginning of an iteration or when you pull in a new work item in a Kanban system, you designate this lane as the slow lane. Say for this one, we're gonna do the new practice, whether it's BDD or, or anything else. For our other things, we're gonna just do what we do. So it's like if you want to get healthy in the new year, you can do the new year's resolution approach of I'm going to go to the gym every day and yeah. be healthy and change everything. And then by February, you're not doing any of it. Yeah. Or you can say, you know, two days a week, I'm going to go for a walk mm -hmm. and I'm not going to change anything else for now. Or I'm going to make breakfast a couple times a week. Mm -hmm. you, you pick something small that you can actually do and then you build a new habit. And then from there you can expand. So with the slow lane approach, you have that one story that you designated as the one we're going to do BDD with. Mm -hmm. uh, not everybody on your team will do it, which is great because not everybody in your team is the early adopter type that wants to jump right in. Yeah. So the early adopters naturally gravitate to it. They're willing to wrestle with the technical challenges of getting started. Everybody else just keeps doing their thing. Your project sponsors don't get scared that everything is ground to a halt while you learn a new skill. After a while, you recognize in the same way that you feel pretty good after that walk, the slow lane actually isn't that slow. Those are the stories we don't have to go back and fix over and over again, because we did it right the first time, and we have some nice living documentation around this, some good tests. We can trust that part of our system. Mm -hmm. So let's do it with two, and then three, and then yeah, maybe we should just make this part of our definition of done and do it all the time. Uh, it can take six weeks, it can take six months, it depends on the team. Mm -hmm. And I don't like putting pressure on teams to adopt it yeah. before they feel ready. But I've never seen one that started that way and didn't eventually get to a place where it was just how they worked. Yeah. So each team goes its own pace and kind of absorbs that change in different ways with the dynamics, but that's a good place to start. Right. And, and I actually encourage teams that are really enthusiastic to still do the slow lane approach. Ah. Uh, because if you don't, um, and one team I, I was working with on adopting BDD was really fired up about it and got started, but they didn't know what they were doing. Hmm. So they made a lot of bad test automation <laughs> before they figured out how to do it. And then they had to figure out how to refactor their way out of that while doing new work. And had they started small, they would have learned in a smaller, safer way and then expanded good practices across the other stories. Mm -hmm.